Good morning. It's Friday, August 30th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news, all within 15 minutes or fewer. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm joined today by 24-7 Sports National College Football writer, Chris Hummer. Chris, we had quite a bit of actual college football on TV tonight. I'm pretty excited to get into it here. Yeah, it was it was great to see you back, and uh, it was great to see the Clemson Tigers back on TV, kind of to kick off the first week of the season. Yeah, Chris, were you like me, scrambling like minutes before kickoff in that one, trying to figure out how you could add direct or excuse me, ACC Network to your cable package or streaming package? Because I I'm, I'm I now have a YouTube TV trial subscription purely on the strength of trying to watch this game. Yeah, I wasn't. I'm not at my home. I was traveling. I'm in Dallas this week for the Auburn Oregon game. But uh, I was scrambling around Dish Network because I did not think Dish was actually carrying ACC Network. But I think I got a late ad and I was able to watch the action. Very nice. Well, uh, the final score here was Clemson 52, Georgia Tech 14. Kind of seemed like Clemson never really got out of first gear, at least offensively, but they didn't really need to. Just kind of ran the ball, threw some short passes, and that was plenty. Uh, a little bit of a sloppy game for Clemson. Three turnovers, including two interceptions from Trevor Lawrence. But uh, any takeaways here from what you saw out of Clemson in their first game back? Yeah, it's hard to take a ton away from a week one game, but I think there's one or two things that are really interesting to note about Clemson. The first of which is that offensive line, which had to replace two all ACC pieces, including an all American and Mitch Hyatt at left tackle looks really strong. They paved the way for a lot of rushing yards, including a 200 yard game for Travis Etienne, who averaged a staggering 17.1 yards per carry. And uh, he looks like he could challenge Trevor Lawrence for that, uh, team's top Heisman billing this year. It was really impressive. And the other thing was Clemson has a ridiculous like load at wide receiver, and there was a three wide receiver set Clemson would trot out sometimes with DeAndre Overton, who's six foot four in the slot. So that means you had T Higgins and Justin Ross, both of whom stand at six foot four above on the outside, and you've got another six foot four receiver inside, and it's just like almost like a basketball set out there, and it's just a ton of fun to watch. Big test for Clemson next week with number 12, Texas A&M, coming to town. Uh, Kellen Mond looked pretty sharp on Thursday night, completing 19 of 27 passes for three touchdowns, albeit against a severely overmatched Texas State team. Uh, One last thing here on this game. Uh, Georgia Tech seemed maybe definitely year zero situation for Jeff Collins, maybe even a year negative one situation when you think about just, you know, all, all those years of recruiting to a triple option system and how long it takes you to dig out of that. You, it, it was never going to be just an overnight transition. And I think what you saw from Georgia Tech on the offensive side of the ball really bore that out. Uh, we had Cincinnati 24, UCLA 14. I, I thought there was a pretty good chance UCLA might lose this game. I did pick UCLA to win. Was kind of surprised at how terrible they looked. What did you make of this one, Chris? Yeah, you mentioned that uh, Georgia Tech might be in kind of a a year zero situation or a negative one situation. And I think people kind of people forget what Chip Kelly inherited last year, which was a roster that he has almost completely turned over in about a year and a half. I think they had 30 plus guys transfer this offseason. Wow. And I still think you're seeing Chip Kelly's teams kind of rebound because they looked awful, especially offensively at stretches. The Bearcats just killed them up front on both sides of the ball. They held UCLA to 1.7 yards per carry 
and UCLA's uh, pass rush wasn't get, getting a much of a push for most of the night. Um, I think it could be a really long year for the Bruins. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, their quarterback, finished 8 of 26. Uh, he threw two picks. He looked pretty bad all evening. And uh, I think UCLA is better than what they showed. Cincinnati is a team that I think is going to give a lot of people trouble, including a team that they play next week in Ohio State. But uh, UCLA is going to have to get a lot better if it hopes to make a bowl by season 10. Yeah, that 24-14 that to 14 score line almost, like, it really doesn't do justice to how outmatched UCLA seemed in, in this one. They had most of their offense came from a 75-yard uh, touchdown, well, it was a run and catch on, on a screen pass to Demetric Felton. Outside of that, they really didn't do very much all night. Um, it's a long way to go for Chip, Chip Kelly and company. And for Cincinnati, they've now got quite some steam going into that Ohio state matchup next week in at Ohio stadium, kind of, kind of weird given their in-state-ness and proximity that Ohio state and Cincinnati have only played 14 times in their history. And Cincinnati hasn't won that game since 1897. They actually had a two year winning streak, 1896 and 1897. So a, a lot of eyes on that one. And uh, Luke Fickle, obviously returning to the place where he was once the interim head coach before Urban Meyer take, took over. So there will be plenty of narratives and fun storylines there. Elsewhere in college football on Thursday night, we had uh, a couple, a few FCS over FBS scares. We had Minnesota and UAB narrow, narrowly avoiding some upsets to FCS teams. Uh, Western Kentucky, however, not so lucky. The Hilltoppers fell 35 to 28 to Central Arkansas. Uh, Western Kentucky is in their first year under Tyson Helton after stints at USC and Tennessee, taking over after two disastrous years under Mike Sanford. Looks like there's a lot of work left to be done to get WKU back to where they were under Jeff Brom. Um, uh, we also got the Holy War going on tonight. Uh, we uh, we are recording in the middle of the Holy War. It looks like, oh, U- Utah, uh, when we started recording, Utah was winning 9-6. to six. Now they're leading 16-6. to six. So uh, it, the Utes are looking like they're in pretty good shape uh, in what is a rock fight in Provo as, as I think we were all expecting. Yeah. Pretty, a pretty typical Utah Utes game, a lot of defense. Uh, the first big play of the game for either team was a pick six off a tipped or off a kind of a scrambling play where a former BYU transfer actually yeah. uh, brought, put Utah on the board. So that kind of adds to the fuel that is the Holy war. But uh, yeah, Francis Bernard to love this game. Francis Bernard flashing yeah. up you with his hands as he goes into the end zone. That, that had to have been brutal for the home for the home fans there uh, at wearing the blue and white. Um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about it on the uh, on the on the video show today over on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, whatever whatever you like to do. Um, uh, Barton was saying that he thought Utah could maybe go eleven and one and have this be the one. So um, if, if Utah can hang on there, that'd be pretty big and a pretty nice feather in the cap for for the Pac-12 in a in a in a weekend where they've got a lot of high profile games where some of their some of their playoff contenders might be at risk of dropping a loss in the first week of the season. Um, 
One other note we want to hit on before we get out of here. With Hurricane Dorian bearing down on the Sunshine State, it was announced on Thursday afternoon that the game between FSU and Boise State will be moved from Jacksonville to Doak Campbell Stadium in Tallahassee, Florida. And the kickoff would be moved from prime time to noon Eastern on ESPN News. Be interesting to see what that environment is like at the Doak. We've seen with some of these hurricane relocated games in the past, it's kind of got a dead vibe in the stadium. Uh, you know, obviously Florida State has great home support normally, but you just wonder, and f- with just 48 hours notice, how quickly you can mobilize uh, a, a group of fans to to get in the stadium. It looks like. Florida State is just doing $10 general admission tickets. Uh, so maybe that'll help things. It'll be interesting to see. Does this does this change of venue influence the way you're thinking about this game at all, Chris? I think if anything, it probably helps Florida State because if you're gonna make a if you're gonna make a last minute kind of change, it helps the team who's gonna be making that change five minutes from where they sleep every night. I guess if from Boise perspective, you're going across the country either way, so it's not gonna really yeah. matter if you're going a couple hours down the road, but I think it always benefits the team that's kind of uh, doing it under the most favorable conditions. And I think if you're a Boise state fan and you see a hurricane barreling towards Florida, potentially, and I think the forecast right now, have it, have it hitting sometimes Sunday or Monday, you might be a little more tempted to maybe cancel that flight and not risk it. Whereas if you're already staying in uh Tallahassee, it's a pretty easy drive for a $10 admission. So I guess in that sense, it benefits uh, Florida State. But I also, I, I don't want to be crass with the uh, hurricane barreling towards the state, but I don't think the hurricane's going to have any impact on Florida State's offensive line, being able to block somebody like Curtis Weaver, mm. uh, Boise State's uh, all-star defensive end. Um, so in that sense, I don't think it's going to have a lot of bearing on the actual game itself. All right, well, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to check us out and tell an enemy to check us out. For Chris Hummer, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you bright and early on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. 